Gary Vaynerchuk, host of Wine Library TV, a.k.a. WLTE, and this is BBQ Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how's it going? You have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour. Welcome aboard. It's the Barbecue Central Show. We broadcast from Cleveland. Ohio. We talk about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Still to come on the show tonight, Jeremy Yamansky from Larder Delicatessen right here on the west side of Cleveland. The near west side, if you're familiar with Cleveland. Uh, west 29th Street, to be exact. Right in the old uh, Cleveland Firehouse. I think that's what they call it. So, really looking forward to that. Hey, don't forget to follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram. That's where you were originally alerted about the Bubba Burger contest that is wrapping up here in two hours. Exactly. If you'd rather follow me on Twitter, you can do that at the same handle at BBQ Central Show or on Facebook slash BBQ Central Show. If you're watching on Facebook, thank you very much. If you're wondering why I'm not interacting with you on Facebook, I don't watch the chat on Facebook. It's annoying. It's annoying. And I can't follow it. And there's no widget or app on the streaming software that I use that will show me it. So until that happens, I'm not going to be able to check that out. But know that I appreciate you watching live right here. Once again, as I had mentioned in the first hour, we are now in the final two hours of the Bubba Burger promotional contest. So here's what you need to do. Hit iTunes. Find the Barbecue Central show or go to my website and click on the iTunes link under subscribe and then leave a review and rating. Remember, while there is a great chance that if you leave an honest review, you will be included in the contest. If you leave me a one-star review with no comment or feedback, even if you use the correct hashtag, I will not. Andrew. You are not the That's right. I will not include you. Why? Because it's my contest and I can do that. Now, lots of feedback as it relates to the embedded correspondence segment last week. Specifically, as it relates to the initial unveiling of the Barbecue Central Show Guests Hall of Fame. Remember, three categories were drummed up, regular guest, semi-recurring guest, and one-off guest. Now I have to, as I go back and review the whole segment, I went back and re-listened to it the next day or after it was released on what would have been Thursday last week. Audibly, it was great. Content was superior. There's something that's going on within the inner circle called the best one minute of Steve from Tennessee that John Solberg puts together that is not going out for public consumption. And it's not like I'm trying to tell you that what we get to listen to is better than what you get to listen to, but it's so funny. But that's private. You got to get in the inner circle for that. And I decided to go back over that first run of the Hall of Fame. And I think perhaps Ray is right. So my concept last week was that I'm going to do a lot of people in right off the bat to go against the grain of the way the Barbecue Hall of Fame was doing it, which was only letting three people in every year. You know, that first time that the American Royal took over, I've always been the proponent and the champion of having there been a huge induction to get the base in there, and then you can be picky after that, but that didn't happen. 
So I, we, the embedded correspondents, and I ushered in a number of people last week. And now that we have that base, I'm going to make a page on the website. I'm going to make a list of who was in under those categories. And then going forward next year, we'll probably put in one recurring guest, one semi-recurring guest, and one one-off guest each. So that would be a total of 12 people going in from here on out. Now, I'll have to go back and get a quorum's decision on that, but, I mean, ultimately, the decision remains and lies with me. So I think if we have myself and then three correspondents, actually, there probably would be a fourth one. Um, That would be John, because David Huff was out last week dealing with uh, a few items that he had to get taken care of, and I would imagine he'll be back next week. So I don't want to uh, exclude John from Michigan. So we'll probably pull him in for the Hall of Fame. So that would be a total of uh, four people, and then five uh, would be including me. Five times three is 15. So every year going forward now, 15 people will be inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Now we may decide that we will generate a list of 15 people, and then the five of us will go down and vote, and whoever gets the most votes will win. So we would actually be inducting three people. Ooh. The mystery and excitement builds. See how I just did that? Anyway, lots of reaction as it related to the people being put in by myself and the embedded correspondents last week. Email from Jason Baumgartner. Greg, how does no one mention Ben Carson as one of the greatest one-off guest interviews ever? That interview on the Carson Rodigio Took so many left-hand turns, I thought I was listening to a NASCAR race. (laughs) Good one, Jason. Yeah, uh, except I believe his name was Blake Carson. Jason, Ben Carson was the dude running for president. The doctor, the brain surgeon, Blake Carson is the guy that you want, okay? That's all right. I see you working, Jay. Thanks for reaching out. And I agree. Blake was incredible. I didn't even think about that. Because it's tough for me. I kind of rely on my embedded correspondence to be a little bit more out of the current of the show. I mean, I got to be in, in this current in order to steer the ship properly. So, I mean, how many people have I interviewed over the course of 11 years? The first show, the first live show was February 7th, 2008 which may or may not be a best of show here sooner than later on a Friday. So make sure you subscribe to the show. But there's a lot of people that have been on the show either regularly or semi-regularly or one-off that I just because it's been so long, I'm not going to remember. Once again, I live in that two to three year time frame, and it literally could have been two weeks ago or 10 years ago. And I still think it's two to three years ago. Also got another email. Starts out like this. Greg slash Gene. What? (laughs) My guest Hall of Fame nominees. Ronnie Lotz. That dude was just bonkers and probably the best interview in the history of the show. In the history of the show? Damn, that's a strong statement to make. Best interview in the history of the show. That means ever. Ever? Ever? Also, Meathead, in your vernacular, he brings it real strong each and every time. Never can get enough Meathead, and the fact that he runs over each time proves that fact. He's LeBron James of Barbecue Central Show guests. Regards, Steve, don't Booska my name, Quaz. And just to make sure I don't mess up his name, he says, Quaz rhymes with bras. (laughs) You know, like the woman's undergarment? So thank you, Steve Quaz. Yeah, I agree. Meathead is definitely in Hall of Fame. Ray Lampy definitely in the Hall of Fame. Ray made a prolific acceptance speech at the end of the first hour. So if you're listening to this show first on podcast, make sure you go back and get the first hour and listen to Ray Lampy, who was not in his normal first segment at 914. He was at 935. But he made a great acceptance speech. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, asked me if there was a cash award. Uh 
Right, that was a little cheap. But if I have to pay you to keep coming on the show, you might have seen your last show. <laughs> you didn't think I was going there, did you? You know it. Ronnie Lotz was a guy that was voted in by everybody except for the gentleman from Tennessee who had no idea who Ronnie Lotz was. Uh, the same guy had no idea that Diva Q had been on the show. Get that big stuff out of here. Big fan, big fan. So if you have an idea of who you would like to see in the Hall of Fame or who you would like to nominate as well, more than happy to take those emails. Absolutely. John Dawson weighing in, subject line, PNWBA Remps. You might take some solace in knowing that PNWBA stands for Pacific Northwest Barbecue Association, which is a bunch, uh, which is a bunch of clowns. Too much weed. What? Too much weed? Uh-oh. Like pot? Damn, John. Uh, Lance Owens weighing in. Just gave you five stars. Just rated and hashtagged you. But not sure it goes live right away. So don't forget me in your contest. That other guy must beat a horse meat lover. Horse meat lover. Excuse the abbreviated response at any mistakes. This has been sent through the iPhone. Of course. I don't think Lance Owens typed that portion of it. But thank you for the five-star review, Lance. And for leaving me an honest review. I can't wait to read it. Here's something else I can't wait to talk to you about. Traeger Grills. Oh, I love mine. I have a Timberline 850. I'd love a Timberline 1300. Also, the Pro Series. I would love two or three of those. Because behind every great meal is a great grill, but not any grill, a Traeger grill. The Timberline, Traeger's most advanced grill yet. It allows you to grill, smoke, bake, roast, braise, and barbecue like a pro. No matter your level, thanks to the incredible wood-fired taste. Seriously, you don't know flavor till you're cooking with it. Traeger grills use all-natural hardwood pellets as fuel, so you're literally cooking with flavor. From low and slow smoked ribs to a seared steak, even a baked apple pie. What? Traegers can handle it all, and Traeger Timberline makes it even easier. Thanks to the Wi-Fi capability, you can check on your cooks, kick up temperatures, and set custom cook cycles anytime, anywhere, all right from your phone through the Traeger app. In fact, if I was cooking a brisket right now, I could go ahead and check on it. Find one at your local Traeger dealer or check them out online, TraegerGrills.com. Want to beef up that barbecue game? Hell yes, you do. Traeger Shop Class is going coast to coast, bringing barbecue knowledge and amazing wood-fired foods everywhere they go. Taught by professional pitmasters, you'll take home all the skills you need to reach barbecue glory. Find a shop class near you and sign up today, TraegerGrills.com slash shop class. That's TraegerGrills.com slash shop class. Or just the main website to check out the cookers, TraegerGrills.com. Great news. I have been unblocked by Instagram's Traeger account. So now I can properly include them on tags and hashtags and mentions. So not sure exactly how I got banned by Traeger Grills on Instagram, but I am now unbanked. Jeremy Yamansky coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. The only show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue. A man actually named Meathead. The author of a barbecue bible. Bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. Hey, Smokin' with Smithfield Committed Cooks, make sure you head on over to SmokinWithSmithfield.com and apply now for the 2019 Committed Cooks program. $25 shipping charge for that. Open to the first 500 applicants. Also, if you're running a barbecue contest and you would like to apply for the 2019 Smithfield grant that is currently going on, which I believe is until the end of the month, you can do that at SmokinWithSmithfield.com. Get after it. Also, I do want to mention that winning this past weekend's second annual Smithfield Classic was Fred Robles from Rio Valley Meats, so congratulations to Fred. 
continuing to take down big events is my guy, Fred. Man, you love to win, Fred, which I appreciate. All right, my guest in the second hour, a man of many talents and expertise. Have you ever met a mushroom foraging expert? Have you always wanted to talk about fermentation to a master? Also happens to have attended the Culinary Institute of America's Accomplished. You bet. To cap it all off, he's right here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. So let's go ahead and race to the hotline of Traeger Grills and welcome the first-timer to the show, Jeremy Yamansky. Jeremy, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Jeremy. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening. Lots to get to, of course. But as I had mentioned just in the open, the gem of this whole deal is, uh, A, I'm remiss in the fact that I didn't know about Larder and you up until the introduction that uh, Daniel Vaughn had to make coming up from Texas. But you are right here in Cleveland. Are you always a Cleveland kid, or did you just come back here for some reason? Yeah, no, I I grew up in the Cleveland area. I grew up uh, out in one of the suburbs called Solon. Uh, so born and raised, I, I went away for about 10 years, went to culinary school, did a bit of traveling and studied underneath a few chefs. And, and I've been back here for, for about four years now. Jeremy, just to get a little background about you, you know, as somebody who's in this industry and, uh, who's accomplished quite a bit and, and you have a, a bunch of expertise in a bunch of different areas, were you a kid growing up that always had a fascination with food or found yourself in the kitchen or is that a passion you found a little bit later? Yeah, no, that's that's something that's always been there. I was really fortunate. My grandmother was a kosher caterer on the east side of uh, of Cleveland, uh, out of a synagogue for geez, twenty years. Uh, so, so age eleven, twelve, I was working with her in the kitchen. So it's it's been something that's been fostered for for as long as I can remember. How soon do you go to CIA? Is that something that you go to right out of high school, or you take a little bit of time there? No, no, actually, I uh, uh, I worked as a mortician in the other family business for a few years before going wow. there. <laughs> funny, funny story, you know, I'm in my butchery classes at CIA, and uh, I'm under underneath this, this gentleman, Hans Siebold, he's a certified master chef, a, a German, a Bavarian butcher, mammoth man, and, uh, you know, we're cutting, and I'm cutting meat, and, and I had a little bit of of working with me before then he says to me, you, you know what you're doing? Like you, you can see him out. You can, you know, butcher pretty well. You've been working for a butcher. And I said, well, no, I've, I've most recently been a mortician. And he, he just looked at me and said, well, keep cutting. I mean, it kind of helped, right? I mean, it sounds a little bit morbid, but I mean, it probably helped. I mean, listen, we're, when it comes down to it, uh, when the skin's off, we're not too much different <laughs> from a pig or a cow. Or a, I mean, you name it. Butchery is butchery. We're talking with uh, Jeremy Umansky. The website, by the way, if you want to check it out, if you're going to be in Cleveland and you want to check out a really great delicatessen on the near west side of town, LarderDB, like DeltaBravo.com, LarderDB. So go ahead and check that up while we're, list, uh, while we're talking here this evening. So... You eventually get to the CIA. I mean, did you not have a passion for the mortician industry? No, you know, it was something uh, I, I I don't want to say I had a rough childhood, but uh, I, I got sober at 19. Uh, <laughs> so after I was on my feet for about a year, it was a, a job that, that uh, my uncle had offered me. And uh, it was some, it was stability I needed at the time The you know, uh, for those, those listening that have been in the food industry a while, uh, it's not the most stable in terms of uh, trying to stay sober. Uh, so it was, a, it was a little bit of a, a much-needed break, but it wasn't where my heart was. So obviously uh, it was it was the food where the passion lied? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole time I was still picking up catering jobs and, and doing a few events here and there. And, you know, eventually, you know, I was working on my undergrad, too, uh, out of try see here in, in anthropology and uh you know it, it just dawned on me like i should probably go to culinary school why do you choose cia versus let's say a johnson and wales or you know one of these other culinary schools you know new york was a big focus for me i wanted to get to new york and uh it was it was a 
the right school in the right place. You end up meeting your, I guess, what would be ultimate partners that you are partnered up with at Larder at CIA. Is that correct? Uh, well, I, I, my wife, uh, Allie, who's who's uh, chef owner with me, we met in culinary school. She's from Norman, Oklahoma. Um, wow. And then Kenny Scott, my other business partner, we met here in the Cleveland area, uh, but we met through a good friend of mine at culinary school. Kenny, Kenny had worked at some Michelin star restaurants in New York with a buddy of mine from school. And, and uh, when Kenny came to Cleveland, the Cleveland area, for some family issues, this, this guy linked us up and we hit it off the bat. When you're at school, do you find yourself interested in a few different like subcultures or, or sex of the cooking industry, or were you just pretty much a lover of everything? You know, it was, it was pretty broad, but uh, at the time, a uh, gentleman, Paul Wigston, he was uh, in charge of all sourcing for the school, so all ingredient sourcing. Uh, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul's a farmer. He had a family farm, and I was president of the Garden Society, and I was president of a, a group uh, called Chef Sustaining Agriculture, which is now a, a slow food on campus group. And uh, Paul saw I was doing these things. He offered me a job on his farm. So I started farming. I eventually became his land manager. During that time, too, I uh, got to host uh, a fermentation guru, Sander Katz, for almost two weeks uh, in the Hudson Valley and got to study with him. And, and that really spurred this this path down uh, for fermentation and meat curing. And then at the same time, through Paul on his farm, started doing work with uh, Cornell. He was an alumni there and uh, started working with a mycologist and a botanist, creating these, these value-added programs on the farm, teaching farmers how to find mushrooms or, quote-unquote, weeds in their fields and bring them down to the New York City market. So foraging, fermentation, meat curing were, were things that all kind of I got into simultaneously, and, and they became the, the root of my career. You go back to Cleveland, and is it the sole purpose to open larder at that point when you get back? You, you know, not entirely. Uh, my wife and I had batted around the idea of, uh, hey, let's let's get a stand in the West Side Market. Uh, I can sell uh, wild mushrooms and some pickles, and she could do some <laughs> baked goods. You know, we started looking into it and some of the politics and 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 whatnot, and it, it just turned out to be not feasible. Plus, there was nothing open in the market. Right. Uh, so, so uh, a friend of mine here in town, uh, she introduced me to Chef Sawyer, and him and I hit it off right off right off the bat. Do you guys work together or partner on some things, or how how does the relationship kind of grow? Yeah, you know, so he he brought me on to oversee uh, different aspects of research and development for the restaurant group, and helped him open uh, restaurant Trentina and establish a fermentation and foraging program there and, and, uh, you know, integrate some of those things in the other restaurants too. Um, you know, after, after I left, um, you know, to, to start and, and look at pursuing larder, um, you know, we, we still, we still work together. Uh, and most recently, um, past year and a half now, we, we finished writing a book about vinegar um, and it's coming out the end of uh, this month, actually, the 22nd, it'll be released. It's called House of Vinegar. So we've, we've had, you know, since working with each other, like it, there's been a great relationship through and through. Jeremy, let's go I, ahead. I couldn't answer it. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Please finish. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to say like, I, I, you know, honestly couldn't ask for a bigger cheerleader and, and colleague in the Cleveland area. Like Jonathan's just fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, let's go ahead and get into the first subject uh, tonight that I wanted to cover, which is mushrooms. And, uh, you know, myself, I'm a pretty big mushroom fan, uh, probably at, at a very high level, uh, nowhere near the uh, the intricacies or expert eyes like you have. But, but I like using them as a side dish or an accompaniment to a main dish. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, uh, she hates mushrooms. So it's always a little bit of a battle here. And we like to, you know, happy wife, happy life. But you, you are, you know, it, it, I'm so glad you're touching on this right off the bat because here's the <laughs> thing. So, 
so, so they're they're in in this area in the Cleveland area. There's about 130 different species of mushrooms that you can eat. Really? So for someone, yeah, for someone to tell me they don't like mushrooms based on the three or four types they've had in their life from the grocery store, I don't buy it. I guarantee I've got a mushroom that your wife will enjoy. When did you realize that you did have, you know, this extra patch? I mean, obviously we, you know, you talked about how you kind of got into it, but I mean, were you extra excited when you got back to Cleveland or, or did you know when you came back to Cleveland that there was this many varietals of mushrooms growing around? Yeah, you know, it, yeah, definitely, definitely knew that those things were going around. The, the thing that, that I wasn't seeing though was, was I wasn't seeing them being used. I was seeing a few maybe half a dozen species at different restaurants, but you know, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And at Trentino with, with Jonathan, um, you know, we were using 130 different species on a regular wow. rotating basis. Is foraging a title that, or forager a title that one has to earn, or is that something that is like a verb? If you're going to go out looking for mushrooms, you're technically foraging. Yeah, I mean, any anybody can be a forager. Anybody can go foraging. I, I think, you know, when we get into the realm of, of food, and especially, you know, in restaurant production or the food industry, um, you know, you, you've got some distinctions that need to be earned. And, and some of those would be, uh, like, I'm a licensed wild mushroom expert. I have a license mm-hmm. through the Michigan Department of Agriculture. Um, you know, on, on that note, I'm even though I don't have a, a PhD in mycology, I'd be considered a mycologist or an amateur mycologist. Mm. Uh, so, so stuff like titles like that would be things that have to be earned. But if you want to go out and you want to learn, you know, a few dozen species of mushrooms or plants and start foraging, like you're, you're a forager. It's in all of us. It's, it predates agriculture and in, in, in our history and our civilization. So, you know, we all have ancestors that did this on the regular at one point. Are there other LWMEs in the greater Cleveland area, or are you one of uh, very few? Uh, as far as I'm aware, I'm one of either two or three in the state of Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah, no, that doesn't mean there aren't people that have the knowledge of that cert- certification. They just don't have, you know, they haven't gone through the course and the testing, uh, you know, and the licensing process. So, um, there are definitely quite a few mycologists that, you know, have knowledge above and beyond what I have. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, I own a food service operation. Uh, we wanted to make sure that if we're going to use these ingredients, we can do it legally without having to worry about, you know, can this be done? Should this be done? Any of that. So getting that license was, was a huge step in us being able to, use these mushrooms because state by state what you can and can't do varies jeremy umansky joining me here on the show uh, one of the co-owners of larder delicatessen here on the west side of cleveland all right so anybody that's in ohio right now or is listening to this on podcast very excited because there's 130 different uh, varieties of mushrooms growing here in the state so is there a best way to tell because you know my upbringing was if you see a mushroom on the ground, and I'm from upstate New York, run away from it. If you eat it, you're going to die. Everything's poisonous. Obviously, that's not the case. So what's the best way to tell what mushroom is good to pick and which one might be dangerous? Sure. You know, it's it's uh, it's just like anything else. You know, we, we uh, let's take driving a car for an instant, for instance, right? Yeah. Once you reach a certain age, you have to take classes on how to operate a vehicle. You have to have X amount of hours behind the wheel. Then you can get a permit and then a license. And then every few years you have to renew it and keep it updated. So there isn't necessarily a, a best way to tell, you know, we've heard people, I've heard people say, well, I saw a squirrel eat it. It must be safe. Well, no, you've got a different body than a squirrel does. They can eat different things than we can. You know, your dog can't have chocolate. It'll make them sick. Uh, but you can eat one of it. So it's really just about studying and learning. Um, you know, there really isn't a foolproof way to say, oh, that one's orange, it's okay, or that one's white, stay away. There, there's no steadfast rules in those regards. So if you are somewhere and this conversation is spurring you on to take up forging, you're going to want to get online and, and look up forging classes and, and then obviously vet your experts, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? Here's here's the good thing too. If you if you go out, so in Ohio and where we are, where I am, you know, there's uh, give or take twenty five hundred different species of mushrooms. There's only a handful of them, maybe a dozen or so, that are toxic enough to potentially be fatal. Hmm. There's a there's a few hundred that could potentially put you in the hospital with some liver issues or kidney issues or even neurological issues. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them, the ones that are toxic, you know, it might be uh, a night on the toilet or with your head in the wastebasket, but you're going to get through it. So, you know, when you put those things in perspective, it's not something you should necessarily be afraid of. So if you, you look at those maybe dozen species that, that could be potentially fatal, if you learn what those are, and most people can learn them pretty readily and pretty easily, uh, you've really got nothing to worry about. This is a tremendously broad question, and it's more your opinion. Uh, and obviously, you know what's selling in the restaurant, what people are coming in for. What seemed to be the best tasting or the most popular selling mushrooms? For instance, when I was there the first time meeting you, you had a mushroom pastrami sandwich that was absolutely fantastic. I don't recall exactly what mushroom that was, but I mean, there's got to be some that uh, probably do a little bit better in the restaurant than some others. Yeah, yeah. And that mushroom, the the Latin name for that is uh, Latiparus sulfurus, the, the sulfur shelf or chicken of the woods mushroom. Um, chicken of the and, woods? Uh, Chicken of the woods, and it's called chicken of the woods because if you kind of peel it and break it apart, you know, I'm, I'm, we got a bunch of barbecue lovers listening. Like sure. anybody that barbecued some chicken and then shredded it, this mushroom has that same texture. Hmm. It's not that it tastes like chicken. It, it literally, the fibers of it look like the muscle fibers of chicken when it's cooked. Um, and it, it bites like chicken. It eats like chicken. That's why we use it for this, this mushroom pastrami or even this vegan pastrami. Um, you know, and that's a huge seller. I mean, I can make 50 pounds of that and be sold out within two days. Hmm. That's a, that's a lot of mushrooms to sell. Is it a different process to make a mushroom pastrami than it would be getting a brisket and making that into pastrami? I mean, obviously I can tell where the obvious differences are, but as far as process is concerned, is it something similar? It's identical. The great thing is it's faster. So, you know, we, we take the mushrooms, we cure them, and, and we use salt, and, and we use uh, this Japanese mold, mold koji, which you and I have touched on a little bit before. Uh, so we cure them with that. After that, they, um, they get crusted with our pastrami spice mix. Uh, they go into the smoker, they smoke off, and then we finish with a, a quick steam shallow braise. So it's literally the same exact process for making like Romanian style pastrami. Um, it's just using something else. And that's one of the reasons I feel it comes out so good, right? Like we're treating it like meat. We're, we're, we're not thinking of it as, oh, this is a mushroom. We're, we're treating it like it is a brisket or like it's a flank. Um, and, and we're just putting it out there and putting it through the process. And it, it makes a great sandwich. You know, if you eat it by itself, you know, you're like, oh, this is not pastrami. But when you have the whole sandwich with the rye bread and the mustard and the sauerkraut, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a damn good sandwich. It's a meaty sandwich. And I'm not a, a vegan guy or a vegetarian guy or anything like that. I'm your prototypical I like meat kind of guy. And the sandwich ate like a meat sandwich. So do you find that your clientele, Jeremy, is... Uh, a little bit more open-minded or willing to try things that are, are a little bit out of the ordinary? I mean, you are a delicatessen, certainly by name, and a, a lot of the other stuff that's happening in there would remind you of a delicatessen, but then you also separate yourself quite a bit with some of the offerings that you have there. Do you think that your clientele is a little bit more open? Yeah, you know, I think they are. And and I, I think here's one of the th- key things in, in our approach, right? You can You can make food that's going to appease people of a certain diet persuasion, let's say vegans, right? You can make vegan food. And in my opinion, a lot of vegan food out there is lacking and it's stigmatized and whatnot, or you can make vegetables and vegetable based food for carnivores. And I think that's the approach we've taken with something like that mushroom pastrami. 
Um, and some of the vegetable charcuterie we're making now too, that gets like smoked and dried out and same exact process as making, you know, uh, a sopraceta salami or, or a brazola or that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, when you, when you really, it's all about the ingredient and how you treat it, that method and that technique behind it. Jeremy Mansky joining me here on the show. Uh, Jeremy, we could talk about mushrooms here probably for the next hour or so, but I wanted to switch topics and get to Koji. Can I hold you over uh, one more segment and we can hit on that? Yeah, All right. of course. Hold on one second. We'll be back uh, with more Jeremy Umansky right here local in Cleveland, believe it or not. Jewel for me sucks if you're not in Cleveland, but you can come and visit. We're happy to have you. Both of us are happy to have you. Let me talk to you quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at Big Papa's has been Pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself. That's right, from the award-winning rubs and sauces. The American-made grills, smokers, Big Papa's has something for every type of outdoor cook. Now, you know they got that championship rub. The sweet money, the cattle prod, the cash cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit and in the backyard. They offer... 13 perfectly balanced flavors that will transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. They also have that partnership with Simply Marvelous Barbecue, and they together form the West Coast offense. Continues to win and dominate on the competition scene, so check them out if you're not familiar. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce. If you're looking for that new go-to barbecue sauce that will please everyone, Granny's traditional yet powerful flavor remind us why you fell in love with barbecue in the first place. And aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, they also offer the very best charcoal, pellet, and wood cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out the MAC 2-Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive MAC dealer, and even offers special packages. Not a fan of the pellet smokers? All right. Try the Old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on a competition trail. And if you're a backyard hack like me... Looking for a durable and versatile grill that will last forever? The M-Grill from Texas, just what you need. They're built like tanks. Not sure what grill you need? You really can't go wrong with any of the smokers featured on BigPapaSmokers.com. They have something for every kind of cooking budget. So here's what you do. If you have any questions, you call them 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers. Com. We're back with more Jeremy Umansky from Larder right here in Cleveland. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And this portion is brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. Hey, if you have Alexa or Google Assistant, you're in luck because Fireboard is fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816 945 2232. That's 816-945-2232. Jeremy Umansky joining me back on the show. Thanks for hanging with me through the break there, Jeremy. So, Ayo. Koji is something that you told me about the first time we visited. Blew my mind. Actually went online. I saw a big talk that you gave. I think it was out in New York. It was on YouTube, and you eventually got into the Koji thing. And So, you know, it's been an ongoing discussion here on my show since about March, dry aging in general. And from a, a, res, a restaurant side, I see selections more and more on the menus. I also notice that folks at home are looking to secure proper equipment so they can actually have standalone dry aging options available at their own house now. Um, dry aging around yeah. a long time, no doubt about it. What do you think is leading to this? rise in popularity of dry aging in general it's damn good yeah. <laughs> i mean that's, <laughs> that's it it's it's freaking delicious man do you have it's a do you have a preferred dry age time like what if we're going to like red the steakhouse and or, or you name it in cleveland and we could have 
any dry age time that we want on a steak, what's Jeremy picking? Man, I I I like super funky and super intense. Like, really? If I can get something 120 days, I'm in heaven. Can we get something 120 days in Cleveland? I mean, you can make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get that, but like, there's no restaurant that you know of that would do that, right? Is that dangerous or no? No, 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 and it's not dangerous if it's done properly. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough. Um, I, I do. I'm a brand ambassador with Certified Angus Beef, and mm-hmm. I love their beef. You know, for for larder, we we use their beef for our pastrami, and and uh, we 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 spec Ohio raised Certified Angus. So every once in a while, down in Worcester, Ohio, about an hour south of Cleveland, they've got this awesome culinary education center. Uh, so I'll go down there and, and cut meat with them every once in a while. We break, get to break down a whole cow, and uh, you know, there's always some of that lurking around there. So I try to get down there as often as I can. So normal dry aging takes time. We know that. That's a whole part of the process. I mean, it's in its name for crying out loud. But with the yeah. use of this thing called Koji, there might be a whole new world revealed to us, both, I guess, from a restaurant side and an end user side. So let's start with this. What the hell is Koji? Yeah, so it's it's mold. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that scares people, right? It, right away, like, grab the, the bleach bottle or, or throw the leftovers <laughs> out. Uh, but, you know, mold's been used in food production for a long time. I mean cheeses, chocolate, and coffee go through a molding process. Some breads do. Uh, anybody who loves charcuterie, you know, that white stuff, that white powdery stuff on the outside of your salami or whatever it is, that's mold. Country ham lovers. I mean, you know, you, you, those things get covered. So mold is integral in food production. And this mold specifically, uh, historically, it's been used to make sake, which who doesn't love getting a buzz on, and miso and soy sauce. So uh, it's been used in food production for a long time. How do you go about making it, or do you have to find it somewhere? Well, there's there's uh, like most things, there's uh, an easy way and there's a uh, more intricate way. Is there a so proper way easy between to... easy and intricate? I, you know what? There's uh, <laughs> if you ask the Japanese, yes, there's a proper way to do everything. Right. I mean, they've, they've refined and codified this process. They've elevated it from, like, producing a food to to creating a masterpiece, right? Hmm. Um, you know, so they have the, the traditional production of this mold is very, very specific. It, and it's, you know, entrusted from master to apprentice and so on and so forth for generations. I mean... I to to get a mold you need these spores they're they're the 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 fungal equivalent of a, a plant seed. Um, I source them direct from a koji producer in Japan. Wow. He's a twenty eighth generation producer. Twenty eighth, and his family twenty eight generations, and, wow. and all his family has ever done is grow this mold out to get these spores and then sell them to like miso makers and sake makers. Um, you know, so, so like I said, the Japanese have like, yes, developed a correct way, but, um, you know, for people just getting into it, you can either easily, easily source a derivative, a Koji made product that you use in another, uh, food on Amazon. Um, you can find some of the stuff in, in, uh, some Chinatown markets. Like it's, it, it's out there. You just have to know where to look and, and what to look for. And, and there's many derivatives of this mold. Uh, it can be grown on rice or barley, and you can you can find it once it's been grown on there and dried. Uh, you can find this uh, sweet porridge they make out of it called amazaki. Uh, and amazaki, if you were to add yeast to it, you'd end up with sake eventually. <laughs> and then you can find another porridge, a salted one called shiokoji, which that's the one tra- traditionally was used to bury a piece of fish in or bury a piece of steak in before you cooked it to help flavor it and do all these really cool things that Koji does. So you can get all those products pretty easily uh, just by searching around Amazon. Jeremy Mansky joining me here on the show from uh, Larder Delicatessen here in Cleveland, Ohio. So let's talk about how Koji works and how it will aid in dry aging or, or giving you, I guess, what would be a dry aging flavor and funk? Yeah. So um, the, the way it works, 
when when a mold grows, they, they're pretty different from us. Um, they they don't have a mouth, they don't have a stomach. So what they do is they grow their roots essentially uh, on their food source, and through this rooting network, it's called a mycelium. Uh, they secrete these enzymes, and the enzymes they they break apart starches into simple sugars and proteins into amino acids that, that create umami flavor. Uh, they break down fats into uh, esters and fatty acids, which are highly aromatic compounds that, that are responsible for us like smelling things before we taste them. Um, so so the, the mold grows on its food source and releases all these enzymes that, that break down all these complex things that make up a, an ingredient into these really simple, approachable things that happen to be incredibly delicious and aromatic. Um, and, and at the same time it's doing that, it has the ability to tenderize things and wick moisture away because it's a living thing growing on something. Uh, it does all of these really crazy, wonderful things simultaneously. I mean, just to kind of put it in perspective, like our pastrami we make at Larder, I don't know, Greg, huh? you, you, you've made pastrami before? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, how long did it take you to make your pastrami? Start to finish, raw to, to, to slice in it. I mean, it had to be a couple weeks? Yeah, so we, we do it in 72 hours. <laughs> um, like, that's how fast this mold works. Wow. So, you know, we start, we start with the raw brisket. Like I said, we put the salt cure on it. We use this paste of koji that we call shio koji. Um, on it, it sits on that for two and a half days or so. Uh, it allows the salt to penetrate the curing salts to penetrate everything incredibly fast. It tenderizes the meat and then we go right into the smoker and then, then the steam. So, uh, it, it, it's just incredible how fast it works. So it, um, is there a, is there a table of, you know, one day in the Koji paste equals a week of, normal dry age time is there some type of a breakdown on that yeah more or less i mean it, it differs from cut to cut and and animal to animal but uh you know in the realm of charcuterie um you, you know we've done like front end front end picnic hams like with the the shank on and everything you know like a, a 12 pound ham uh i've had those ready to slice um, after about a month and a week. So, so just under 40 days of, uh, hanging, um, things like brazola we can have in 11 to 14 days. And we're talking like 40% weight loss on these cuts, oh, wow. um, from, from when they're hung to, you know, being, being sliced and, and for the dry aging technique, like the age acceleration technique, you know, we can, and, and I've done, side-by-side uh, -side tasting with, with the, the meat scientists at Certified Angus Beef, uh, we feel the 48-hour the koji treatment that we do uh, is right on par with a 30-day dry age. So, so that, that time frame, though, is, I mean, it, it, how I understand it, 30 days is tenderization, uh, not necessarily building on any funk. So if you want to get would you keep it in then another two extra days or 48 hours in order to get closer to 60 days where you're starting to get some of that uh, funk taste? Well, here's, here's the whole thing. Koji itself kind of brings about like these Parmesan-y kind of funk notes, these mm -hmm. mushroom Parmesan-y notes. So, so you, you still get some of that with the Koji. And, I, you know, I don't want to distract anybody and say like, this is the exact same thing, right? There's yeah. a, a bit of difference with it. Like it's a different flavor profile, but when it comes to the eating and the texture and you're eating them right next to each other, uh, every test that we did, and, and we, we used some, some crap cuts, man. We, we did this. <laughs> we were like, let's do this with, with eye of round. Um, you know, and it, it, it beat it out every single time. Once you've achieved the time frame that you want, do you have to wash off the Koji first uh, and then like pat dry and then you're off to the races like you would prepare a normal steak? No, essentially. So for the age accelerated technique, literally, and this is the mind boggling part, we actually grow the mold on the meat. So we take a piece of meat, we, we season it with a little bit of salt and sugar. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this, this does a couple things that that's, that's your seasoning, right? You, you're not going to have to season this again when you cook it, but it also on a whole muscle cut, it, it, uh, both the salt and the sugar are antimicrobial, right? They kind of ward off, you know, surface dwelling bacteria that could potentially be harmful. And they also help to draw a little bit of moisture to the surface. So, uh, after we season it, we put a mixture of these Koji spores like the seed and rice flour on the outside of the meat. And then you ready for this? Then we, then we hold that meat, uh, between 80 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit and 95% humidity for 48 hours. Hmm. So once, once that happens, we, we've got this beautiful bloom. I mean, the, the piece of meat looks like a piece of brie or camembert. (laughs) Uh, It's got this fluffy white bloom on it. And from there, you just you just cook it. We don't scrape that off or anything because there's a lot of flavor in that itself, and the crust that it lends too when you cook. <laughs> I mean, you you just you can't beat it. Because on a normal dry aged steak, you got to go through the process of cutting that shell off on the outside. Yeah, the shell you've lost a ton of water weight. Right. You know, as as fast as koji grows at 48 hour period. And a lot of times it's even less than that. It's closer to 36 hours. Um, you know, we are losing some water because the mold is, is sucking water out of the meat to actually live. It needs it. Um, but we're not losing nearly as much as if you were to actually hang a piece of meat for 30 days, <laughs> you know, or even longer. So you, you get something that's, that's not only incredibly tender and, and like supple and succulent, but it's ridiculously juicy. It's, it's as juicy as an undra, unaged piece of meat, um, which there I think is like one of the added benefits to this. So, do you want to do this with a you know a strip loin, or as you said, like a, a bigger cut, or can I get you know a pound and a half of ribeye steak and then apply this koji paste and and let it go for forty eight hours and just cook the steak? You you bet. I, hmm. I mean. And listen, I, name a protein. My original test with growing this mold is, you know, we, we went on to find out that in, until I actually started growing this mold on the surface of meat, nobody had ever done that before. <laughs> My original tests were with scallops. Really? Holding them at... And holding them at 90 degrees and 95% humidity for two days. Those, those were my, I figured if wow. I could get these to survive that process, like I could do anything. And since then I've done it, you know, you name it, squirrel to llama, uh, beef, uh, a plethora of different seafoods. Like it, 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 uh, it lends itself. Some are more are trickier than others to, to just get it done. Right. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, you could do anything, any cut, any size, um, you know, one of, one of our dream, dream projects we're hopefully going to be getting going soon is to do a whole beef steamship. So the, really? the steamship round, yeah. it, it's the whole, it's the whole back leg of a cow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's one of our dream projects we're going to, we're going to get going. We want to do one, uh, that we finish off in the smoker and cook off. And then we want to do another one that we hang for a few years, like you would a prosciutto. There's a guy out in L.A. right now, uh, Adam Perry Lang, obviously uh, Pat LaFrieda, really big and dry aging, you know, tens of thousands of pounds of beef. In a commercial application or in a restaurant application, I mean, obviously this is something that you have already done, but do you get contacted by uh, purveyors and and owners of restaurants saying, hey, I just watched this YouTube video or I heard somebody mention that you're an expert in this Koji thing and uh, let's talk about how it can kind of help me achieve some dry age flavor profiles and tenderness and all this without having to go through the whole process of, of truly dry aging. Is that something that you think is going to pick up steam? I can tell you it already has. I mean, I've been everywhere from McCarthy, Alaska, uh, to Austin, to New York, uh, San Francisco, working with chefs across the country and teaching them. I've, I've had, uh, just in the past year, students from Northern Italy, uh, somebody from Costa Rica wow. and a student from Tasmania literally come to Cleveland to study with me to learn these techniques. So it's uh, it's rapidly catching on in the culinary world. 
what can I say? We could uh, chat for like another two hours, but I know you're staying up late for me because uh, there's an early bell tomorrow to get Larder back open and serve the great people of Cleveland, Ohio. In the meantime, we are talking with Jeremy Yamansky and the website again, LarderDB, as in Delta Bravo, LarderDB.com. Jeremy, really appreciate the background tonight talking about Koji and uh, also talking about the mushrooms. Lots more that we can chat about here in the future, but uh, once again, thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, for sure. And and Greg, you know, I'm going to, we'll, we'll have you come in. You'll come in for one of our Koji classes. Yeah. Uh, anybody in the area that wants to learn about this and, and how this is done and kind of see all these just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's magical. It's mystical, but you know, it's also, it's also vetted science and food tradition too. So, um, you know, there, there, we got resources here for people to come enjoy and learn about it. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, Jeremy. Hey, you're welcome. Have a great night. Thanks for having me. You got it. There he is, Jeremy Yamansky. All guests appear via the Traeger Talking Grills about hotline. Koji. Mm-mm-mm. Are you excited? Mm-mm. Who's yeah, excited? Man. John Dawson saying, I'd love to hear Meathead's wife take on this craziness. <laughs> craziness? John, what are you talking Can you imagine if you can get a 30-day dry-aged product in 72 hours, or I guess what would be like a 30-day dry-aged product? Uh, Pat LaFrieda is slotted to come back on this show towards the end of this month as well. You know I'm going to be talking about Koji with him, whether he knows it or not. I can actually guarantee you, I know he doesn't know it, but we're going to be talking about it. Just to see what kind of experience he has with it. According to Jeremy, catching on like wildfire. You know what else is great? Southside Market and Barbecue. That's right. Attention folks in the business of barbecue. First things first, let me tell you quickly about Southside Market and Barbecue. Established in 1882, Southside Barbecue's oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They've been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. By the way, did you hear Jeremy say that the people that he gets the Koji spores from? 28th generation. There's got to be some money in that. Or they really like not making money for 28 generations. Anyway, Southside offers premium Central Texas barbecue products slow-smoked over real wood, shipping, distributing, manufacturing sausages for companies across the U.S. From food trucks to multi-chain restaurants, Southside Sausage can be on your menu, too. All meats are processed on the USDA on-site inspected facility. Trusted partners with a focus on quality and, most importantly, authenticity. Wholesale options available shipping nationwide via the FedEx Food service distribution via Cisco, U.S. Food, and Martin Foods, just to name a few. Company packaging capable, that's right, from research and development to package completion. They can follow your recipe or they can help you develop something brand spanking new. How about this? Private label opportunities available, that's right. If you're somebody that has a restaurant or a food truck or maybe you're somebody like me and you're looking to add a new revenue stream to the already set up shop, and you think that could be sausage or barbecue meats or something like that, Southside, ready to private label their already successful pro- uh, products in your name. For instance, I could have Barbecue Central beef sausage, but in reality, it's Southside Market and Barbecue's beef sausage. Yeah, everybody wins in that regard. Check it out. Really popular and a gr- hugely growing segment. Here's the payoff, folks. 10% off your code. For online orders, when you use code BBQ Central, that's one word, all lowercase, BBQ Central at checkout when you visit southsidemarket.com. That's southsidemarket.com. 10% off all online orders, BBQ Central. We're back to wrap the show quickly right after this. Stick around, be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs. Injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you've found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, welcome back, and thanks again to Jeremy Mansky for joining me last segment talking about Koji and talking about mushrooms. 130 different mushrooms growing right here in the Buckeye State. All right, let's wrap it up all the way back in the first hour. We talked with J.D., Jimmy Daniel from Primitive Pits, primitivepits.com. Check it out if you're into those, uh, I guess what you would call Texas off-style pits. 
Ray Lampy joined me in the Ask Dr. Barbecue segment, October 17th, the hard open date. We'll see how that one turns out. Originally, it was tomorrow, October 3rd. And then in the second hour, my man Jeremy Yamansky from Larder, LarderDB.com, his website. Check him out if you're in town. Big show planned for you next week. As always, September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host of Proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe, saying good night now. Hi, this is Greg Rempe, host of the Barbecue Central Radio Show. And you are listening to BCRN, all barbecue and grilling all the time.